be the light to the world. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate so much the music this week, hasn't this brother done a great job? Thank you. So, uh, to God be the glory, right? And if I ever preach another revival, I hope you're leading the music. Right? And uh, it's been great to work with you. What a joy to be with you guys. Man, you all have something special here. I hope that you know that. Just a great spirit. And uh, I know it's because you have great leadership. I've grown to love so much your pastor and his wife, Don and Rhonda. God bless you guys. And been, yeah, amen. Amen. I tell you, you're, uh, your pastor loves Jesus. And uh, he loves the word. And he loves you guys. He loves you all. Loves this church. And so he's just touched my life in, in a special way this week. And... Um, it just, man, it went fast, didn't it? But it's been great, and it even rained. Did y'all get rain over here? Yeah. And it rained at Elk City. I had seven-tenths in my gauge, and uh, which is pretty significant. You know, I've been told that when Noah's great flood came, that western Oklahoma got a quarter inch. So, you know... Um, so we're, we're grateful. We're very grateful. And I love preaching in this association. I, I just love Terry Riles, your DOM. And I've had a lot of opportunities to, to uh, amen. Seem like a lot, I end up doing a lot of preaching over in this area, Terry, and I'm grateful for uh, your work here and the, the churches. And uh, so anyway, it's just been a wonderful week for me. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to John 14 tonight. And I want to preach on this subject, Are You Heaven Bound? Are You Heaven Bound? And this passage in John 14 is just a a special text, beginning in verse 1. I want to read verses 1 through uh, verse 7 of John 14. And Jesus talks about heaven in this passage, and notice what he says, John 14, 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places or or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Heaven bound. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. You know, I I think that um, everybody needs three essential homes. Number one, you need an earthly home. Number two, you need a church home. Number three, you need a heavenly home. And that's what Jesus talks about in this passage. This is really God's dream for you and I since the day he made you to take you and I unto himself. And that's what we'll be looking at tonight. One of my favorite uh, stories about Billy Graham I want to share with you. Uh, Very early in Billy's ministry, 
Uh, before he got famous, he was preaching revivals all over the place. And uh, one week he was preaching a revival in a small town, much, much like Arapahoe. And he wanted to mail a letter, but he wasn't sure where the post office was. And so uh, he's headed that way, and he asked a boy on the street, he said, can you, can you tell me how to get to the post office? And so the little boy told him, said, well, here's how you get there. And so um, he told the little boy, hey, if you'll come to the Baptist church tonight, I'll be telling everyone how to get to heaven. And the little boy told Billy Graham, he said, I don't think I'll come. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> I, love, I love that story. I really do. So I'm going to tell you how to get to heaven tonight, all right? And you, you might be surprised as you approach the subject of heaven. There's not a lot said about heaven in the Bible. And I think there's probably two reasons for that. Number one, our finite minds. And number two, our human vocabulary. It is just so awesome and so fantastic. We're really limited by what our minds can grasp and how we can express that with words. That really was the Apostle Paul's problem in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, trying to describe an experience that he had. In 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about this vision that God gave him. And, and listen to the language here, and you'll, you'll see he has trouble wrapping his mind around it and really expressing it in human vocabulary. He says, uh, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. I think this passage is autobiographical. I think the man he's talking about is himself. Paul had some kind of a third heaven experience. God caught him up, and you can see how he struggles with, uh, with words describing it and explaining it. He's not sure if he's in the body or out of the body, and um, it, it just talks about how difficult it is to describe heaven. Uh, his heavenly experience, he's struggling with it. And so it's a, it's a challenging concept to grasp. But I want us just to look at some passages today about uh, what we can learn about heaven. So the first thing I want you to notice with me tonight, I call the evidences for a heaven. The evidences for a heaven. Now you might be here tonight and you're a skeptic and that's okay. And you're saying, you know, I just kind of feel like this life is all that there is. And I don't know about this heaven and hell stuff and all of that. So I just want to talk to you about the evidence for heaven and why I believe that heaven truly exists. There are three reasons that I, I think heaven exists. Three evidences. First of all, uh, we have the evidence of scripture. The evidence of Scripture. And we just read what Jesus said about heaven, right? He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and uh, receive you to myself. So Jesus talks about it in our passage here. In uh, verse 2 especially. 
But not only did he talk about it, Paul talked about it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul uh, wrote in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, verse 17. He says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we, look not at the, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens." You see what he's saying there. He's talking about the physical body being like a tent taken down. And his point here is that that when we die, when this physical tent is taken down and is no more, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Jesus spoke about heaven. The apostle Paul spoke about heaven. Uh, John, one of the disciples, John the Beloved, spoke about heaven. Listen to what John says about it in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And listen to this. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And in verse 9 it says that um, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so he took John away and, and showed him the walls of the city and the circumference and how big that it was and all of the gates that were there. And, and um, it, it is quite an amazing uh, thing that he writes about there. Now, these are just a few of the many verses of Scripture that reveal to us a glimpse of this place called heaven. Jesus spoke about it. Paul spoke about it. John spoke about it. And I would say this, if this was all of the evidence that we had for heaven, that'd be enough for me, just the scripture. Um, This evidence itself is so powerful, it could not be made up. And you know, and I know that through the many centuries, there have been all kinds of skeptics and atheists that have tried to uh, overthrow the inspiration of the word of God and tear it down. They've never been able to do that. I'll tell you tonight, I believe in a heaven because the Bible tells us there is a heaven. The Bible declares that those who trust in Jesus Christ will live forever. So if all I had was the evidence of scripture, that would be enough. But we have more. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the evidence of man's immortality. The evidence of man's immortality. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I think it's evident that God has placed within the heart of every person a longing 
for immortality, a longing for eternity. Man alone of all of God's creation longs for eternal life. And and we know that. There is this universal longing that is in the heart of people that is not in any other animal or beast in this world. And I'll give you an example. Um, Madison Peters in a book that he, he wrote this book entitled, After Death, What? Question mark. And Madison Peter says this in the book. I want to quote him. He said, The flocks and herds upon a thousand hills, the myriad forms of insect life, every winged fly and beetle, the fish that sport in the rivers and the seas, all can find the end of their being. Not a thought of future want disturbs their perfect tranquility. But never so with man. He only is never satisfied, no matter what his wealth, fame, knowledge, power, or earthly pleasures. And that's true. There is this longing in the hearts of human beings for immortality. That we know there's more than just this life. There's something beyond. But I I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said this, quote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was born for another world. Man's immortality. There is this universal longing in everyone for immortality. There's the evidence of Scripture then. There's the evidence of man's immortality But there's a third evidence I want to bring to you tonight, and I call this one the evidence of dying. The evidence of dying. There are several books on the market today that contain the last words of uh, famous people and when they came to the place of death. In fact, I was perusing one of them this afternoon. Herbert Lockyer wrote it. It's titled, um, uh, Famous Sayings of Saints and Sinners. So I was reading that this afternoon, and it was pretty interesting. And and when you read these books, one thing is made very, very clear to you. People who believe in Jesus Christ die in a very different way than those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, the final words of this world's most famous skeptics and atheists are enough to make your blood run cold. I'll give you some examples. Remember Edgar Allan Poe? Quote the raven nevermore. When Edgar Allan Poe died, he kept blurting out, Lord, help my poor soul. When Arthur Ford, who was a famous psychic in his day, was dying... uh, People around him said that he he departed begging, God help me, God help me. But Thomas Edison, the famous inventor and Christian, when uh, he died, the last thing they heard him say was, oh, it's very beautiful over there. (laughs) Harry Cohn, the film producer, just before he died, said it's too tough. It's just too tough. Washington Irving, an early American author, when he died painfully said, When will this end? But R.G. Lee, the famous Baptist preacher who many of us come to love 
dearly, had just the opposite saying. Now, now R.G. Lee's most famous sermon was Payday Someday. In fact, he says he preached it over 7,000 times in his lifetime. That's his most famous sermon, but perhaps R.G. Lee's best sermon was on heaven. And his daughter, Hilregard, records this, um, what happened when he was on his deathbed. She was there by his side. And she said he hadn't said much all of that day. And she said all of a sudden he, he sat up in the bed. And he said, uh, Hilregard, I, I see heaven. And it's so beautiful. I, I just didn't do it justice in my preaching. And he said, oh, Hilregard, I see, I see Lady Lee. And then he said, oh, Hilregard, I see Jesus. And he laid down and he died. The unbeliever Edward Gibbons, when he died, the last thing that he said was, all is dark, dark. But Augustus Toplady, who wrote the hymn Rock of Ages, cleft for me, when he died, they said the last thing he said was all is light, light, light. Another unbeliever by the name of Adams cried out. And the people who were in the room with him said he, he screamed this out. Demons are in the room and about to pull me down. Contrast that with the great evangelist D.L. Moody. Just before he died, he said, Earth is receding. Heaven is descending. Why is this death? <laughs> it is not horrible. It is glorious. This is my coronation day. And he died. The evidence of dying. In fact, we have even more, more than that. In, in more recent days, two psychiatrists, you might have heard of them, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Dr. Raymond Moody. Both psychiatrists have presented evidence in their studies of people who were pronounced clinically dead and then were resuscitated back to life. In fact, I, I have uh, Dr. Moody's book. And... Uh, they said that they examined over 500 cases of people who had experienced a clinical death episode and then been resuscitated back to life. And they said in every instance that people described either a place of beauty and peace or they had described something terrible. You see, we are the only generation that has ever lived to have evidence like this. Because of resuscitation techniques like CPR, there are people living today who clinically died, but they were resuscitated because of CPR. And people have written books about it. And I'll tell you, there's some of the most amazing stories that I have ever, ever heard of. You might ask, well, why do you think all, all of this is happening? Well, I believe with all of my heart, it is evidence that God is giving in these last unbelieving days to convict, to convict and convince even the most skeptical. So you ask me tonight, why do I think there's a heaven? 
Well, there's evidence, the evidence of Scripture, the evidence of man's immortality. And in our day, the evidence of dying, these people that have died and been brought back to life and and talk about what they have experienced. It's amazing. But secondly, I want to talk to you for a minute about the excitement in heaven. Not only the evidence of heaven. I believe there's a heaven. But I want to talk about the excitement. Uh, look, notice what else Jesus said in our text. In John 14, and uh, verse 3 and 4. He says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Now I want to talk about the excitement of heaven. And I know for some of you it might be hard to get excited about heaven because you have to die first to go there, right? I heard about a little boy who wrote a letter to God, and this is what he wrote. Dear God, what is it like when you die? Nobody will tell me. I just want to know. I don't want to do it yet. Your friend, Mikey. (laughs) And that kind of captures it, doesn't it? I heard about a Baptist preacher who, uh, in the middle of a sermon, asked everybody who wanted to go to heaven to raise their hands. Well, of course, every hand in the church went up except for one man in the back. And the preacher looked at him and he said, man, what's wrong with you? you? You don't want to go to heaven when you die. And he goes, oh, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I thought you were trying to make a load up right now. Yeah. We'd like to go to heaven, but we're just not quite ready for the trip today. It's sometimes hard to get excited about it. But folks, think with me for a moment about heaven. Back to, John, uh, back to Revelation 21. There will be no darkness in heaven. It says, in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. There will be no evil there. Revelation 21, 27. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no famine in heaven. There will be no drought in heaven. Revelation 22, 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of the street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, if you're a farmer here, how'd you like to have harvest time every month? (laughs) That's what heaven's going to be like, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will be no darkness there, no evil. There'll be no drought. Since it's part of our inheritance, it comes to us at no cost, right? No down payment, no realtor fees, no closing costs, no mortgage payments, no property tax, no utility bills, and no fear of foreclosure. Amen. Since there's no pain in heaven, there'll be no hospitals. Since there's no death, there'll be no cemeteries. Since there are no tears, there'll be no sorrow. Since there is no sin there, there'll be no regret. We will be truly alive. Going back to the evangelist D.O. Moody, he said, he said this in a sermon one time. He said, one day you're going to read in the paper that Dwight L. Moody has died. He said, don't you believe it. I'll be more alive then 
than ever before. How true that is. And then when you think about heaven, there are always the, you know, I pastored a long time. And the two questions that I always got about heaven was this, the first one. And I've had people ask me this often. Russell, will we know each other in heaven? And my answer is absolutely. Do you think that we would know less there than we know here? See, if anything, we'll know each other better. In fact, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, for now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Now our knowledge is limited. We know only in part, but there we will know in full. Our knowledge will be complete. The second question that people always ask, will we be able to see what's happening on the earth? Now that one's a little tougher, right? Uh, In 1 Samuel 28, we read that Samuel, after his death, knew what was happening on the earth. And you can read about that. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9.31, Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about the goings on on the earth. We know that in Luke 16, the rich man from hell was able to see Lazarus in paradise. So the question is, will we be able to see what's happening on the earth? And I don't know, maybe based on that, maybe we will. But I have a question of my own. Who would want to? (laughs) Who would want to? You know what I think? I think that when we're in heaven... That our attitude is going to be, <laughs> you've seen one earth, you've seen them all. Right? It, o- it only took Paul one glimpse to say in Philippians that I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is so much better. I'll tell you, I think those of us that are saved will have one concern when we enter that place of eternal bliss. Our concern in that moment of perfect immortality with the capacity to understand for the first time what God's plan and purpose have been all through the ages for our lives and all of the bride of Christ. I think that our eyes will be turned to Jesus. Casey sang about it the other night, didn't he? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, the excitement in heaven. Thirdly, I want you to notice with me the entrance into heaven. We see the evidences for heaven. We see the excitement in heaven. Well, what about the entrance into heaven? Jesus could not have made it any plainer, could he, in our text? John 14. Now, after he told them, you know the way where I'm going, in verse 5, Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but 
through me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty plain. Jesus didn't stutter. He put it out there just like it is. How do you get into heaven? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Repenting of our sin, putting our faith and trust in him. Peter said the same thing, just in a different way in Acts 4.12. He said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, as wonderful as it is, not everyone is going there. Not all who sing the hymns are going to make it. So how do you go to heaven? You know, some people are like Thomas. They don't know the way. But the answer of Jesus is simple and clear to all who will listen. He says, I am the way. Without me, there is no going. I am the truth. Without me, there is no knowing. And I am the life. Without me, there is no living. I love how D. James Kennedy put it many years ago. Listen to what he wrote. The way to heaven is as narrow as the cross. Only those who are willing to humble themselves and acknowledge their sin and place their trust in the Son of God who died in their stead will ever enter the gates of heaven. He says there are two personal truths which I know about myself. The first is I ought to go to hell because that is where I belong. In 10,000 times, in 10,000 ways, in word and thought, omission and commission, I have transgressed the holy law of God and stand guilty before him, deserving his just displeasure. But the second truth, which I know equally, is that I am going to heaven because Jesus Christ went to hell on a cross for me. I have no other hope but him. And his free gift. So this is it. You know, black and white, plain and simple. Two ways, right? Heaven or hell. You say, what do you have, what do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Nothing. Just keep going like you're going. You'll wind up there. But that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to be in heaven with him. But the only way that Jesus can affect your life is for you to receive him. We've got to be willing to turn from our sins. And we've talked about repentance just about every service. It means you're heading this direction and you turn and go this direction. Turning from our sin and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died on a cross to pay for those sins. And when we do that, we are assured of the place called heaven. You might recognize the name Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall for many years was the uh, chaplain uh, to the U.S. Senate in Washington, D.C. And Peter Marshall in one of his sermons told about this, this little boy who had an incurable disease. And uh, he wasn't going to make it. And for months, his mother cried for him. uh, And each day brought death closer to the door. And he said one night that the mom was rocking the little boy in the rocking chair. And um, he was especially quiet. And so she asked him, she said, um, she said, son, is there anything bothering you? And the little boy said, you know, mom, 
I just wonder what it's like to die. And does it hurt? Mom was silent for a moment, and she said, You know, son, when you were healthy, do you remember how you used to play so hard all day that when night came that you just come in the house so, so tired to even undress or anything, you just fall there, fall asleep on the couch in the den. She said, that wasn't your bed. It wasn't where you belonged. And you would stay there only for a little while. And you remember when you'd wake up, much to your surprise, you wouldn't be on the couch downstairs. You would be in your own bed in your own room. And you were there because someone had loved you and taken care of you. During the night, your father had come with his big, strong arms and carried you upstairs into your own room. And she said, son, death is like that. We just wake up some morning to find ourselves in the other room, in our own room, where we really belong. Because the Lord Jesus loves us so. Boy, that's how it works, isn't it? Death, death for the Christian just simply becomes the vehicle that takes us into the presence of Jesus. I love what Jesus said over in uh, John chapter 8 and verse 51. I still try to wrap my mind around this. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, when y'all get that one figured out, come and talk to me. Because I've been chewing on that one for many years. You will never see death. You say, well, we die, don't we? Well, yeah, physically, yes. But Christians are going to live forever, right? We die. You know, someone once put it like this, that if you're you're born once, you die twice. You're going to die physically, you're going to die spiritually. But if you're born twice, you're born physically and you're born again spiritually, you're only going to die once. So I end with the question I began. Are you heaven-bound? Let's bow our heads and hearts together. Heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, we're going to come and sing. And Casey will be here to lead us again. And uh, Pastor Don will be here at the front. You know, nobody can make this commitment for you. Nobody can make this decision for you. It's between you and the Lord. You're not going to get into heaven because granddaddy was a preacher. You're not going to get into heaven. Because your mama loved Jesus. It's up to you, friend. It is up to you. What will you do with Jesus? Would you turn from your sins and receive him as your Lord and Savior tonight? Come take Pastor Dom by the hand and come to Jesus tonight. Maybe you're here as a Christian. You say, man, praise God. I am heaven bound. I am heaven bound. And if you are, I am so glad. Pastor Don, come talk to this brother here. Thank you for coming, my friend. Thank you for coming. Let's pray for our brother. Father, we pray for this young man. And we thank you that he's come tonight. And we pray, God, you'll you'll open his heart to Jesus. Father, I pray tonight for Christians. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, then I rejoice with you. But here's my question to me. And to all of us who are saved, who we take into heaven with us? Who's going with us? I mean, obviously part of the reason God still has us on this earth is to be sharing this good news. 
So if you're a Christian tonight, rejoice in it. But make a commitment to the Lord tonight that we all need to be better about telling others about Christ. Maybe you're here and you need a church home. You come and join this church. I'll tell you, I've been so touched by this church. It'll bless you to be a part of it. If you don't have a church home, come take care of that tonight. Let's pray. Christians, just pray. Let's seek the Lord. Just seek the Lord.